0: This is Episode 146 of the IDRA Class Notes Podcast.
1: One of the things that IDRA has to do is take policy and present it in parent-friendly terms. Once they understand it, they take action on it. There is a very clear understanding that the latest new requirements of graduation in Texas has kind of opened the gates for a lot of poor minority kids to put on a non-college track these families are telling us no I had very little education I don't even know English but I want my kid to be ready to go to college and they're saying that to a family which flies in the face of what schools think parents are thinking
0: let me say good afternoon to everyone this is Bradley Scott and believe it or not I am sitting here with uh, Mr. Aurelio Montemayor who normally conducts many of our podcasts, uh, interviews, and conversations. Today, both Aurelio and I will just have a conversation around the issue of parent leadership and parent engagement in public schools, and that work connected with a school holding power. and students graduating successfully from uh, high school. So Aurelio, let me start off by saying hello, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this subject. I know it's one that you and I engage in conversations many times, often, and so it'll be exciting for our listeners to kind of uh, sit in on and hear some of the things that we talk about. First of all, this whole area of parent leadership, what is it about, why is it important? And generally, how is it connected to the notion of schools keeping students
1: in through graduation? Well, you know, about 30 years ago, we had talked about IERA's work in education advocacy. Had to include parents because they can be the strongest voice for kids. And... One of the things we know in the world of family engagement, parenting is a big issue and there's companies that do it and schools and there's curriculum stuff. And it's important. Parents need support. But IDRA was really not interested in helping fix a parent or teach them how to be better parents. It's a worthwhile cause, but not of interest because our focus is institutional change, making schools excellent. And a parent helping a child with their homework at home, although that's important, is not directly changing or influencing the school to be better. And so family leadership for us is families really taking on being a force for excellence. For the public neighborhood schools, especially parents that happen to be poor or of color or are the ones not being listened to in school. So the family leadership model has been important, but also we redefine leadership and not necessarily one person as spokesperson, a loudmouth parent in some cases, but that it's a community thing. And so, you know, this is the 29th year. 2014 is our 29th report to the state in terms of the state of attrition. Right. How many children are we losing in our schools, in our high schools especially? We even changed the idea of dropout to an institutional responsibility as holding power. And one of the things about data is that some data is for parents as individuals doesn't make much sense. If I'm a parent of a child that is in school, and I see reports on attrition, well, that's the number of kids that left. And I say, well, mine hasn't left, so it doesn't apply to me. Sure. So one of our challenges, how do we take the data that we produce and make it meaningful and actionable for parents? So one of the things we discovered quite early was when you value parents, you know that parents value their kids' education, and it's not hard for them to talk to other parents. So part of the leadership is just interviews and dialogue among families. So if we're working with a group of parents, and we're saying, this data just came out, and it's pointing to the high schools in your area, where you are. Your children and other people's families' children will eventually be in this high school, even if they're in elementary right now, or perhaps they're already in middle school or high school. And what we say is, look at these facts, this data. And it comes from the state. We don't create it. We just take it. this report in Mm -hmm. the state, and we put it into our report. And part of what they will see in our report is how slowly they've been decreasing the number of children they're not holding on to. And if we continue at the same rate, it's going to take 25 years and millions of students lost before we're even, you know, keeping Absolutely. them in school. And, of course, the parents then look at that, use that data, and interview other parents about what their thoughts are about the excellence of their school, what their schools are doing. And it fits in with our model of leisure for several reasons. Our model of leadership is based on mutual respect and communication. One of the things that schools rarely do is communicate in an authentic way with parents. There might be a meeting where they want to get information into the parents' ears, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. or they'll send stuff home with the kid. And even if if it's bilingual, let's say we're talking about Spanish-speaking parents, a little note that's in English and in Spanish is no more useful than the junk mail that we get at home. I mean, that's for all practical purposes, whether you're poor, middle class, tall, short, I mean, parents, you deal with that kind of stuff like that.
0: Let me ask you, in that process of uh, parents and schools communicating, it seems to me that many times school folks don't hear or listen to parents in the right kind of way.
1: No, because even when we see an effective parent outreach worker that brings 30 parents together, mm -hmm. then they're a captive audience for what the school needs to tell them. There's always stuff, and they'll bring in all kinds of program people saying, okay, we spoke to these parents. But you don't say, well, what did you hear from them? How did you listen to them? Exactly. The only parents they listen to are the very assertive middle-class parents that are lawyers or doctors or whatever and go there, or a middle-class mom who says, you will listen to me. And those few get listened to. Who knows what results it has, but you have to be a very aggressive parent. Exactly. To, and that aggressiveness
0: yes. may be viewed as being very negative. Oh, yeah. Especially
1: yeah. if it's poor or a parent of color. Yeah. Oh, you know, they're, they're, it's aggressiveness. It's, it's, it's an attack on the school. So then this mutual respect and communication is central because our model of leadership is a collective. one. Well, it's not who can we train to know the most and speak the most, but... Who listens? How are people listening Mm -hmm. to each other? And how is that listening creating a community of support for excellent schools? Because the ultimate goal is that these schools work well for all children. And they have excellent teachers, excellent curriculum, and stuff like that. When parents interview each other, you are strengthening a neighborhood and family connection, which we're looking for. We don't want to see parents as recipients of information or as people to be manipulated for a particular result. Right. Because one of the things that happens when parents interview parents is they start saying, how many goals they have in common across race, across class? As soon as they start talking to each other and one parent asks the other, what do you think of your kid's education? You immediately see that they have a very similar vision mm-hmm. and hope. Mm-hmm. You know, we see that with poor parents in South Texas. We've seen it in Houston. You've seen it in Dallas, El Paso. I've seen it in California. In other words, as you build this network, It's built on commonality. We want our kids to do well. And potentially very powerful. Yes, yes. It's in contrast to a typical parent organization where you have a select few, a clique, that are there to defend the principal and to get the award for the most volunteer hours. And they become usually a control, a a filter, through which a typical parent cannot make it Mm -hmm. or feels rejected or has to join what they want to do. And we, we don't want to attack principals, but we don't want a cluster of parents that are gatekeepers either. You know, so That makes a lot of yeah, sense.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you, our parent leadership model has unfolded over time. What have you seen to be one or two of the biggest challenges and one or two of the greatest facilitators of this kind of leadership you've been talking about developing?
1: Well, you know, IDRA is a bridge a backbone organization we are not grassroots Mm -hmm. and we are independent and we are assertive but one of the things that we learned over a long period of time is that when we work with families when we have direct connection to families there has to be a base an organizational base beyond a school that supports them because in schools they might get to be co-opted but we can't ourselves become the organization that does it we're not built for that that's not our design but once there is a base of some kind, it can be a church group or whatever, and they put education on the front burner, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of support we can give because, number one, we model participatory sessions and training. We, we can do it in the language of the parents, in this case in Spanish. We value both the professionals and the parents involved. In other words, every participant is valued and listened to, but it also has a direction because what we are about is excellent neighborhood public schools. We're not just anything and everything for all people. What... What we learned is that parents are interested, parents will not shirk leadership as long as you have a broader definition of what leadership is and that it is a group of families, not support for one or two people that might have the charisma or the silver tongue or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Now, what does not work is to impose, whether it be program or policy issues on them. What we do is we present our take on what is happening with policy and program, and parents inevitably will pick the good things. Mm -hmm. In other words, we were established in 1973 because we have such an inequitable way of financing our schools in Texas. Same pattern in other states in the country, but... When that's presented as a logical, clear issue, parents understand. We live in a district that is resource poor, there's not a lot of tax base, and we shouldn't be a poor district simply because policy is based on that. They understand that. One of the things that IDRA has to do is take policy and present it bilingually in parent friendly terms. Once they understand it, they take action on it. In other words, There is a very clear understanding, for example, that the latest new requirements of graduation requirement in Texas has kind of opened the gates for a lot of poor minority kids to put on a non-college track. Because the prejudice in the institutions for generations has been, oh, these poor Mexicans, they're not college material, they Mm -hmm. work with their hands. And these families are telling us, no, I had very little education, I don't even know English, but I want my kid to be ready to go to college. And they're saying that to a family which flies in the face of what schools think parents are thinking. But because schools are not in dialogue with them, you know, if there was an authentic conversation between families and schools, they would have a very different picture of who these families are. It's true that a lot of these families are kind of shy and resident in terms of when they face the institution. But in a community setting, they're quite verbal. In fact, you can't shut them up. They're also really intelligent about making choices. They don't know about Algebra 2 themselves, but they know that if the kids aren't getting the lesson retaught in a way they can understand, they're not going to learn Algebra 2. Absolutely. If the kid is not encouraged to ask questions and the questions are not answered, they know that that's bad teaching. And I don't think there's a lot of professional development that's helping teachers understand how to teach in a variety of ways when you get to higher math. And to have a classroom that's open to questions, just that alone Mm. is key. And the parents understand it really fast. In El Paso, we worked with a group of parents, all poor, all Spanish-speaking, and they did a survey, and the questions they asked, when your child has a question, it's answered. And when your child does not understand a concept, it's taught in a different way. And it turned out most of the time, it was no for both. On a scale of one to five. I know you have many examples in terms of the work that you've been doing around
0: the PTA Communitario. Uh, that our listeners can get more information on as they go online and look into what we have been doing in those areas as well. And I know our time is short, but can you give us some closing comments on this whole notion of parent leadership, its place in keeping kids in schools, and its place in working with school folks so that they support students staying in school through
1: graduation and going on to college? We found that Comunitario, the Spanish word for community, has given us a vehicle that is local and is, is supported by a local organization. And it has legs. It has chance of survival yeah. because all the principles are present in that organization. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Aurelio. It was a great talk and looking forward to picking up this conversation with you in some future podcast. Thank you, Bradley. It was great. Thank everybody, for joining us this afternoon.
1: Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.